So do we have any football fans here? Can I see? How many people have watched or will watch some of the NFL playoffs? Go uh, some Green Bay fans that tend to be more vocal than the, than the, the typical fan. And uh, Stephen, Hannah, and Daisy, very nice to have you back with us. Absolutely. We've been celebrating the birth of Daisy, and uh, nice to have you guys uh, uh, back, back with us. So I'm a football fan, but I never played football, never coached football, never really studied or read football. So I'm a fan that enjoys these games. Again, I've been a sports guy all my life. I, I get the game, generally speaking. But, but I don't get the nuances of the game. I understand there's all kinds of dynamics and things going on in a game with the individual players and, and with the team. There are nuances that really I have very little understanding of. But I'm okay with it. I don't want to study this stuff. If I spend time studying this stuff and go into nuances, Mike Boblet's a guy that's helped me a couple of times understand nuances. He's a football player. He understands this. And I go, there's more enjoyment if you get the nuances. But I don't, quite frankly, I don't care that much. I'm going to turn the game on, and if one team gets way ahead, I turn it off. I tend to cheer for the winner because I like winners. So people accuse me of not being loyal. Let me tell you what I'm loyal to. Winners. I'm very loyal. Now my concern is that sometimes churchgoers approach our faith the way I approach football. In one sense, the gospel is so simple. We are dead and we get made alive through Jesus and through faith in him. But there's a depth to this truth. There's beauty to this truth. There's nuance to this truth that can be so life-transforming. And sometimes I'm afraid we experience less joy because we settle for that less deep understanding of the beauty of what's there. Paul writes Ephesians because he's taking the truth of the gospel, but God revealed to him depth to this, nuance to this, truth to this. Oh, it is beautiful but it takes some effort to appreciate this beauty. Enjoying and expressing the love of God. That's what all of scripture is about. That's what Ephesians is about. And we're turning a corner today. The first three chapters, we've had one command. Essentially this, remember how good God is to you. I think we got somewhere around 40 in the rest of the book. We got this foundation of experiencing God's love and we're turning the corner to now. How does that get expressed? How, how do people who have experienced chapters one through three, how do they live? So we've done this review. We're gonna do it quickly again because as we turn the corner, My recollection of the Christianity I grew up with was do, 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 do. 
I started reading the Bible, and I got this picture, and I was never too motivated at the doing. I just couldn't find the motivation to do most of the stuff they want me to do. Read the Bible, pray, share the gospel. The message of Scripture is that God-glorifying doing flows from being, from who we are in Christ. First three chapters, generally speaking now, we're getting to the doing part. The big idea is God is doing a supernatural, life-transforming work in our lives. And I see three primary pieces in those first three chapters. The first one is God is radically changing our lives in Jesus. Now, Paul's writing to people who have already chosen Jesus. They heard the gospel. It was preached somewhere, and they went, I'm a sinner, and my only hope is to trust Christ. Now, if you're here today... This applies to you even if you haven't yet chosen to follow Christ. We're going to offer you a more under thorough understanding of the gospel, and I believe you're here because God's put you here, and he's doing in your life, if you're here, the, what he's talking about here. But that started before foundation. We chose, before the foundation of the world, we chose Jesus. I didn't understand this until I started reading this stuff. My choosing Jesus was response to his choosing me. Man alive. And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. He has lavished his grace and his, his, his love on us. And, and, and we were dead. The summary is we were dead and now we're alive. That's what God is doing. Then he takes those individuals that have been saved through Christ and he puts us in this community that we call the church. I've been part of this church family for 20 years. It is a gift for which I will be grateful all my life. My experience is similar to Mike's. I've been growing through this. But he designed us to be the primary means of displaying his glory and grace. Our differences in terms of our ethnicity, politics, all that stuff, sports teams, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Because we're united to Christ and we understand that this fellowship, we are the people in whom God dwells. We are his temple. We are his plan for experiencing and expressing his glory. And then last week we looked at it as we ended chapter 3. Most important thing we can do to be healthy individually and as a church is continue to grow in God's love. Height, depth, width, breadth. That's it. Now, you ready to go to chapter 4? It flows from these first three chapters. We're going to look at three chapters now. If you're experiencing the first three chapters, this is how it looks. And here's the big sentence for me in terms of what he's expressing in today's text. God's design is that his love is experienced and expressed in the church. In our extraordinary, astounding, loving unity. He prayed in chapter 1, Paul did, that we would experience the power of God. In the last paragraph, back at the end of chapter 3, he prayed that we would experience the power of God. Now I want you to notice how Paul says that gets expressed. It's not through mass evangelism. It's not through mass events. I want you to notice how the power of God 
in Paul's mind inspired by God gets expressed through our loving unity. Now it comes from Jesus. No surprise here. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Comes from Jesus. Paul had this radical transformation from the primary persecutor of the church into a devoted follower, and God said, you know, in my plan, I'm going to give you more of the nuance, and I'm going to give you more of the detail of what Jesus meant. I'm going to do that through Paul, through the worst of all sinners. So Paul is just taking what he got from Jesus, but he's helping us understand it more thoroughly. Picking it up at chapter 4, I therefore a prisoner for the Lord. Urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Father, I ask that you would be generous with us in terms of pouring out your love. Father, you know I love this family of faith. Father, thank you for what you've done in my life, in Mike's life, in all of our lives. You, you've done this work. You're drawing us to your help, yourself. You're helping us experience more of the peace and the joy and the meaning that comes from more fully experiencing your love. Thanks for creating this fellowship for us to experience that. We're grateful for what we've experienced. But Father, we look forward and we dream of more. More of your love, more of your grace, more of the hope that comes from spending eternity with you and our having more influence in this world so that others who don't know you might see your glory, your grace, your love, and your forgiveness. So thanks for everything you've done. But Father, we're asking that you would do more, ultimately for your glory and for our joy and for the benefit of those who still desperately need to meet you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So, there's the big idea. God's designed to express his power, his power and his love, is that it be experienced and expressed in our extraordinary, astounding, loving unity. Now, no surprise here as he moves on. Our loving unity flows from each of ours, individuals, character, and conduct. We live unitedly because each of us are living with the character and the conduct that's befitting being children of God. He starts with humility. 
I therefore, a prisoner, he's writing from prison for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, to walk. Now in chapter two at the beginning, when he described we were dead, we used to walk in sin. Walking, they didn't have cars, you guys know that? Airplanes, walking is just the way you live. If you were gonna go anywhere in this day and age, you walked. It's just your life. He's talking about the power of God being expressed and here's what he's saying. It doesn't come in all these miraculous events and all these extraordinary events. You wanna see the power of God? It comes from individual believers walking away befitting their being a child of the Almighty God. Now I notice, you notice the word called there twice. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling, your calling. What have, you been, what have we been called to do? Live as people who have been raised from the dead. You wanna summarize our calling? Live as folks who have undergone this radical spiritual transformation, this justification. Live like those people. Because once you've been raised from the dead, Paul's saying, you cannot live like you did when you were dead. Amen. You're gonna live differently. Manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Our calling, it's a noun there. The second calling is a verb. This was an act of God. He called us. We responded, but he called us. And then he goes to this first characteristic there, with all humility. I think emphasizing wherever we are on the humble scale, there's more room for us to grow. Now, how do we get humble? Humility gets understood in all kinds of ways. Here's my best understanding of it. Have an accurate picture of who, who we are, who I am. Now, if we read the first three chapters and we already had come to faith, here's what we get. I'm a sinner, I was spiritually dead, and I was saved by Jesus. I don't think there's anything that could make us more humble than once we come to faith, starting to read Ephesians and realizing even our response to that truth I've shared with you. I didn't get that it was me just responding to God until after I came to faith. I was a passionate follower of Christ. I would suggest spiritually I was pretty stinking humble and then I came to realize God predestined me to be his child, his adopted child. You want to talk about humility, I wake up every day and I choose Jesus. The humility is rooted in this, because he has chosen me. Everybody's that. You know, we're looking for security and significance in this world. If you don't have Jesus, we're looking for our, our security and significance and how we measure up against other people. And don't tell me you're still not measuring. How do my shoes look compared to so-and-so? You know, am I as good looking as them? Can I hit a golf ball as far as so and so? We, we, we like to measure our sides against other people, right? This is just, this is what we do as human beings because we want significance and security. Those of us who have experienced God and are continuing to experience his love, our identity is found in our relationship with him. And anything we've accomplished, anything we've done, we realize ultimately it's still a gift of his. We're all sinners. We're no better than anybody else. No better. What God does is he changes us from those folks who want to use other folks. That we want to be used by God 
to help them see God. We want to be servants. Jesus displayed this, you remember, in washing the disciples' feet. He is our ultimate example. So rather than fighting for our way, rather than insisting we get what we want, Jesus changes us, fills us with his love, and we go, Lord, I want my life to be used to help those other folks see your love. And I'm no better than them. Now, humility doesn't mean you don't have confidence. I remember early in my days in Seattle, a buddy of mine that was yet to treasure Christ, and he asked me again, so do you believe Jesus is the only way to heaven? And I said, I do. And he said, you are so arrogant. So we got to be careful here. Humility doesn't mean we don't have confidence. It just means at the core of who we are, we get we're no better than anybody else. And whoever I am, whatever I enjoy in this life is ultimately because of God's grace. Doesn't mean I didn't put effort into it, but even the effort ultimately comes from him. And he goes on to another one, gentleness. Now, I have a little time with the worship team before, and I had somebody express, you're preaching on gentleness, Todd? <laughs> I thought you would have had somebody else do this. I suggested maybe a certain irony in that. Now, I want you to notice here, we've got five characteristics of character and conduct that we're going to look at. But the first two and the second two are linked with a with. A with. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and notice with all humility and gentleness and then with patience. And so I think he's linking these first two a little, a little more tightly. Gentleness. Now, if you'd have known me in my first church, I think you would have assumed I was very gentle. Mostly, I needed people to like me and I was a coward. So I never spoke up. But I think you would have said, Todd's very gentle. Now, let me assure you, in my basic nature, gentleness is not there, <laughs> in case you were wondering. Some folks just have gentleness by a nature. I think it's a beautiful characteristic. The liability when it's just your nature is, I think there are some times when it would be helpful for you to speak up where your gentleness keeps you from speaking the truth in love. Just that gentleness. But gentleness, I think, is rooted in humility. It, 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 it's, it's rooted in understanding I, I'm no better than anybody else. Um, you know, in the last, oh, long time, I haven't regretted what I've said, but there are several times when I regretted how I said it. It was counterproductive. It wasn't going to be heard so well. You know, as you get a sense, I am aggressive and proactive by nature. <laughs> that's, that's who I am. Comes with some strengths, comes with some real liabilities. I mean, for me, one of the clearest memories of when God did actually demonstrate the power of his Holy Spirit. My first church, it was a church, 120, 30 on Sunday morning. I made it a goal the first year to get in everybody's home. So I went over to this couple. I think they're probably about my age now. How time goes. I sat down, and we got in there, I sat down, the first thing he says to me is, he says, do you know I sit in the back of the sanctuary? I said, no. 
He said, I don't want you to see me falling asleep while you preach. Now, I will tell you, there's certain times the Holy Spirit, the evidence of his life. Next thing I said to him was, uh, it was just about slipped out his first name. I won't give that. Still remember this. I simply responded with, would you have any ideas for how I could improve? And let me tell you, he was looking for a fight. And it was gone. I don't ever remember a time in my life where it feels like there's more anger and animosity than in the last several years. Why is the power of God manifesting humility and gentleness? Because we're living in a world where there's almost none of it. Everybody's fighting for their own way. Everybody's fighting for their preferences. What they want, what seems good to them. Paul says that's not the way those of us who are being filled up with Jesus live. We're going to see pretty quickly we stand for the truth in love. Gentleness is a key. To diminishing the anger, the frustration, the hatred that's out there. Patience. You know, there's a lot on this list. I hate standing in line. Can I see the people that stand in line? I hate standing in line. Now, I believe my patience has grown significantly, but I still don't stand in line. I don't get that anger in there. I just choose to use my time in other ways. With all humility and gentleness and with patience. And I, I believe to some degree these are all experiences of who we are and expressions. But humility and, and, and patience, the way Paul set it up, it's more with that inner being of who we are. If we're humble, we're going to be gentle. If we're patient, then we're going to be long-suffering. Where's patience rooted? Trusting that God has everything exactly the way he wants it for right now. I try to remind myself when I'm on the 91 backed up in traffic. This is God's sovereign plan for me right now. You know, impatience, right? It, it comes from not getting our way, not things going our way. I would have done it this way. Patience is okay, God, for right now, Everybody is exactly where they're supposed to be according to your sovereign will and circumstances are exactly how you would have them. I don't think that means necessarily acquiescing to them and just living with whatever. That's not the way I believe God would have us live. But it's just going, okay, God, you have this and you have me. All right. It's not going to bother me that much. Anybody here wrestle with impatience? You guys, as I talk about this, you understand I'm still growing in all this. And for those of you who see me now and think of me as impatient, just thank the Lord you didn't know me 25 years ago. <laughs> there you go. God's doing a work in my life. And then love. 
No surprise. With all humility and gentleness, with patience. When you're patient, bearing with one another in love. Here's the reality. Paul understands we're never going to be perfect. How many of you have been irritated by something that happened at church? May I say, or someone? May I see your hands? Huh? If you're grieving? Oh, if you're breathing. Well, again, I didn't see many hands, which again tells me a lot about you're willing to be transparent and authentic. <laughs> Because pretty much uh, uh, we, we've all been irritated, hurt, and offended by somebody, right? There's the reality because none of us are perfect in this. But that's where this forbearing, bearing with one another in love comes from. It's all rooted in chapters 1 through 3. Our experience of love of God was Jesus humble in coming to the earth? Read Philippians 2. Was he gentle? Was he patient? Those knuckleheads he hung around with, that's why I love reading the Gospels. I get a part of the Gospels I read every day. I always feel better about who I am and how slow I am on this journey. And yet Jesus was so patient, forbearing with one another in love when we offend one another. Now, he wrote a little bit about love in 1 Corinthians. Gets read at a lot of weddings. It's not a marriage text. It's a text about how those of us filled up with chapters 1 through 3 live. I love it. Now, if there's anywhere where this should be experienced, let me tell you. We're going to deal with it when we get into Ephesians 5. It ought to be marriage. It ought to be expressed in all of our lives, but this ought to be true in marriage. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I do miraculous things. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I'm worthless, even though there are supernatural spiritual gifts going on. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and great truths and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned, pretty dramatic acts of love, but have not love. It doesn't flow from a heart and the benefit of really bringing to them, I gain nothing. I get none of the joy that God intends. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Any questions on what Paul means by bearing with one another in love? Not going to live this stuff perfectly? The key to this? I quit trying to be humble and patient years ago. I'll just tell you why. It never stinking worked. I committed myself to trying to figure out how I could grow in God's love. You may not see it evidenced, but yeah, it works. The more loved we feel, and then enthusiastically devoted to being united. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, because we get how critical our unity is to God's plan. 
We get how essential our unity is to being this representative of God in this world. Jesus said, this is how people are gonna know you follow me. Your love for one another. Now is there anybody here that wonders whether or not I love you? I hope not. I love you with my whole heart. I will love this fellowship my whole life. Last five years have been hard. Everywhere. Including churches. There's an angrier and people feels like to me out there fighting for their preferences, their way of things that has exceeded anything that I have experienced. Pastors have been considering leaving this role in a higher percentage than ever. Politics, race issues, dealing with a disease. Pastors have been called cowards for simply trying to lead the church forward in the way they think it's best to be led. Now, the wonderful thing about these challenges is it gives us an opportunity to assess where we're at in all this stuff. Here's the power of Jesus. No matter what's going on in the world, guys, I don't know what's going to happen in 2024. I don't know what's going to happen. But my prayer is that churches are united, are focused on Jesus, are growing in his love, and we keep the primary thing the primary thing, which is enjoying Jesus' love and loving one another. And our preferences, we share them. We have differences. At the end of the day, for any of us, they're not that important. They're just not. Because our being united is the key to our experiencing Jesus' love and promoting it. What a genius plan. Our loving unity flows from our character and our conduct. You got that part? And then he goes on. Our Christ-like character promotes unity, flows from the unity of our God's character. Not rocking science. He's not saying, I just want you to try harder. After he tells us these five characteristics, he says, here's where they come from. They come from your heavenly Father. God is one, God is one, and so we are one. I therefore, President for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, not one for Gentiles, not one for Jews, not one for Democrats and one for Republicans, not one for Packer fans and the other for Vikings. One body and one spirit. Notice I put in blue here, Paul references the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. Just as you were called, now he's going to use called twice here, just as he has earlier. Just as you were called, God's action, to the one hope. God's doing this miraculous work in our life right now. He's given us every spiritual blessing. He's given them all, but there's a day coming when Jesus returns, and it's going to be outstanding. And it's one hope for everybody. The Jews who had faith in God before Christ came and for all those who have faith in Christ, all those folks have the same one hope. This is where we keep our eyes fixed. 
and all who love Christ. Every one of us gets to enjoy that. One hope that belongs to your call to live like those who are dead and have been made alive in this community that's been put together to experience and express it. One Lord, here a reference to Jesus, one faith, not one for the Jews, not one for the Gentiles. One baptism, one expression of that. One God and Father, Spirit, Son, and Father. And then I love this last sentence. And, and, and again, you understand, I could have spent 20 weeks preaching this paragraph. There is so much here. One God and Father of all, over all who love him. Since he had that conversation with Abraham, all who in him, he is that father over all. Who's over all? I think here is an expression of his sovereignty. He's over everything and through all. He's working through every one of us who treasure him. Take a look at somebody else in here. Just turn... God's working through them. Come on. I know there's some football games today, but God's working through each of us. How crazy is this? Whoops, and then he's in us all. See that? There's our confidence. 2024. It's going to be a great, great year. Can you feel it? Here's what I promise you. Part of what's going to make it great is there are going to be some challenges intended to draw us to God and to unite us. That's where those challenges come from. Are we gonna see everything the same? No. Is it good we have differences? Come back next week, different gifts and preferences? Yes. But Jesus and us being one, that's what we live for. So here's my encouragement. Take a walk today, sometime, five minutes. Half time, you can go 20 minutes <laughs> and just meditate, walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Take a walk in a way fitting with who I am as somebody who's been raised from the dead. Lord, speak to me. In conversations, ask about other people. We all like to talk about ourselves because quite frankly, we're all interested in ourselves. Humility. I'm here to encourage that other person. Find out who they are. Find out what's going on in their life. Ask questions. Figure out who they are. If there's someone you need to forgive, you're holding on to a grudge, I'm going to plead with you to forgive them. Jesus was pretty clear about our inability to forgive others. That's a really bad sign. Maybe you've been hearing it on to it for a long, long time. And you go, Todd, they haven't asked for forgiveness. I love y'all. I don't care. I don't care. All the stuff Jesus forgiven us. Now, it's easier to remember the offenses that have occurred to us than the ones we've caused. <laughs> Maybe out on your walk today, is there somebody potentially that you've hurt? You've been wrestling with whether or not to ask forgiveness. Go ask. 
We're never going to live this stuff perfectly. Never, ever. It's about the journey. It's about being filled with his love. So ask for more of Jesus' love. Last week, it's my prayer for my life. Been that way for about 35 years. It's been my prayer for all of you for 20 years. Whatever you're dealing with, may God give you more of his love in the good times and in the tough. We're going to celebrate this morning those elements which are the foundation of all this. The body and blood of Jesus represented. Our ability to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to be loving, to earnestly, eagerly desire the unity of this fellowship. rooted, founded, grounded in God's love. Lord, you are indeed great. Ah, there's no one, nothing that can compare with you. And you choose to love us. For that love, we will be ever, forever grateful. Ah, Father, as much love as we've experienced, I ask that you would give us more. I pray that as much power as you've given us in your spirit, I ask that you would give us more. I pray, Father, that you would keep our minds, our hearts, our eyes affixed on the hope that is found only in you in all circumstances. Father, you're working through us because you are in us. As we go now, may your power be seen Oh, Father, may it be seen in our humility, in our gentleness, Father, in our patience, in our love, in our devotion to grow in our unity as a fellowship. Use us to grow in your love, Father, and use us to help all kinds of others experience your love. Go with us, Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.